Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to The Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to be getting back into Luke chapter number 16, where Friday we had left off talking about the, the challenges that Jesus was facing with these lawyers, these Pharisees, and these scribes. And, of course, they just finished, as of last week, dealing with the concept of, of the, the prodigal son, now we're coming into the situation like we had Friday with this dishonest manager and, be, and, and talking about money. And the reason why that Jesus was utilizing money, such as the, the parable of the woman with the ten coins that lost one, is that the people that he was talking to were lovers of money. They, they, they were lovers of money more than they were lovers of God. And in fact, that's why Jesus said just, just in, in verse number 13 of Luke chapter 16, you cannot serve God and money. Well, why? Revealed in verse number 14, as we get into the reading soon, it will tell us that they were lovers of money. So before we begin, let us thank the Lord for this time together in a word of prayer, and then we'll move forward to his precious word to get fed today. Father, we are thankful, we're grateful for this day that you have given us, and Lord, no matter the cha challenges that we may have faced, no matter the struggles that we're going through, no matter, no matter the difficulties, Lord, that we have in our lives, we still know that we have this time that we can meet together with you, that we can get alone with you, that you will that you will work with us and that you will help us, that you love us so much that you want this time, you want to spend it with us. And we just praise you, Lord. Give us a heart to want to spend it with you. And we'll rejoice in all that you give us today as we go forth to give it to others, blessing those as we have freely received, that we freely give in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, guys, well, here we are. We're going to be getting in Luke 16, beginning in verse number 14, down to verse number 17 to start our day. And the scripture reveals that the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things that Jesus had taught them, and they began to ridicule him. And he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Oh my goodness, what, what is he saying to these guys here? I mean, he's just brutal. <laughs> of course, these are some of the reasons why I absolutely love Jesus, though. If you take a look at this, and, and as it is revealed in verse number 14 that the Pharisees are lovers of money, that when they heard all of these teachings that Jesus was speaking to them about, they, they started to ridicule him and, and challenge him because he was talking about uh, utilizing their position, utilizing their, their money, utilizing their status in the community as a means to be able to help those that are poor, to help those that, that don't have a voice to speak for those who have need. So, of course, they're going to pick at him. They're going to laugh at him. They're going to ridicule him. But then Jesus, you know, usually he, he tells a parable or, or, or he speaks to them in a way that, that if they would be able to hear him, they would have learned a lesson. But he doesn't do that this time. 
This time it goes right at him. He drives right into him. He says, you're those who justify yourselves before men. <laughs> and the point of justifying yourselves before men, and it happens a lot with, with us in this modern day, if you've ever made the statement when you've been found out or gotten in trouble that, that I'm not as bad as those people, well, at least I didn't kill anyone, at least I didn't do this, at least I didn't do that, well, don't you know who I am? Don't you know what my authority is? Don't you know my position in this life? If you've ever used any of these terms to be able to, to gain the upper hand in a conversation or, or anything, don't you know what degree I hold? Don't you understand that I'm a teacher or I'm a policeman or a firefighter or whatever? Don't you realize I'm a doctor? Well, that doesn't carry much weight anymore nowadays. <laughs> But, but these, are, these are terms, these are means by which we seek to justify ourselves before mankind. We justify ourselves before men as being someone that, that knows something more than others or has a position that is higher than others. And that's exactly what these Pharisees were doing. You know, as soon as Jesus would begin to teach, these Pharisees would rise up and say, well, don't you know your place? Do you realize who you're speaking to? I mean, just think about in... in Luke chapter 14, when Jesus went to that quote-unquote chief Pharisee's house. And, and then, of course, Jesus began to do the healing of the man with the dropsy, and then he began to teach those parables. But, but all the while he's in this house, these people are thinking of themselves. Don't you know your place before me? Don't you know where you belong, little Jesus? You're, you're not the chief here. You're not in the, the, the highest. And this is an issue that we, even as Christians, we have to face this issue because it's, it's a part of our nature. It's a part of being humankind. It's, it's that connection to the corruption that, that is in this nature of sinful flesh. And so the only justification that any of us who belong to Jesus could possibly have is that we are saved from our sin through the blood sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Meaning that we actually don't have any justification of our own selves, but that we long look to and long to Jesus to, to be our justification because as the scripture says over in Romans chapter number 5, there was a time that we were enemies with God, but we were made right with God through Jesus. In other words, Jesus actually justified our lives before God by taking our death upon himself. And so it's very important for us to understand that, that our justification doesn't come because we're a deacon or because we're an elder or because we're a Sunday school teacher or we're anything else in the church including pastors. Hi, our justification doesn't come from, from our position or our title or status, but our freedom comes from Jesus, and so he is the one to whom we are to thank. He is the one to whom we are to praise. If anything that we could boast about, like the Apostle Paul would say, the only thing that we truly could boast about is the fact that Jesus saved us, that God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son for us. That's the only boasting that we could have. That Jesus would, would heal us from the infirmity of sin in the flesh. That Jesus would deliver us from death into eternal life. It's the only boasting points that we've got. But these Pharisees didn't believe that. These Pharisees, they, they thought that money gave them power. They thought that position gave them authority. 
and Jesus just knocks him down again. Look <laughs> at 15. He says, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. Oh, praise the Lord that he knows your heart. I mean, we, we talk about this a lot here at the Preacher's Corner, the reality of God knowing your heart. You, you, you realize that you cannot escape the holy God of heaven. You, no matter how much you might be able to hide from man, you know, there, there are a lot of secret sins that, that we commit that no one else will ever know about unless, of course, it is discovered. You find that from your Hollywood section all the time, these secret sins that get, get discovered. And, of course, God said in his word that, that be sure your sin will find you out. So there's nothing truly that is secret, for Jesus also taught that that which is done in secret will be made known openly. So there is coming a time, rather in this life or in the next, that you will be discovered. It's just a matter of time before you're found out. Well, as a buddy of mine, Carl Taylor, he often says that his mama taught him very young, you might as well tell the truth. Because it's a whole lot easier to remember the truth than to remember all the lies that you would cover up the truth with. So just tell the truth. And, and this is a reality because these guys, these, these Pharisees and lawyers, these scribes that Jesus is dealing with in Luke 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, and 11, these guys are, are, are prolific liars. They're prolific thieves and, and, and murderers. They're, they're everything that the law that they claim to abide by, they're everything that law says they shouldn't be, and they are. And Jesus brings this out on a regular basis, which, which just infuriates these guys because they cannot deny it. They cannot escape the reality of what they are. And neither can we. So it's very important for us to understand today that if we would just be true to ourselves and true, true to God, that there's a lot of great work that the Lord could do inside of us. But because we continue to deny the reality of ourselves, and in some parts, even though we're children of God, we tend to deny the, the connection or reality of God, we have to pay a price. And that, that's a very challenging point. And so he comes down and, and he says to these guys, God knows your heart. You realize that you can't hide from God. Now, you can hide from me. You can hide from everyone else around you. But you can't hide from God. And that's where you find a lot of bitter Christians today. There's, there's a lot of people who, who would prefer to be able to remain hidden from God, but they can't because the Holy Spirit will reveal the nature of their sin to themselves. And and as they fight against the Spirit's revelation of sin in their lives because they don't want to admit it, they, they tend to become bitter Christians. If you've ever met bitter Christians and nothing can be right, nothing can be done right, nothing, nothing happens the way it should be. I mean, it's just bitterness that exists in their soul is because they're fighting sin inside of themselves. The Holy Spirit is bringing this sin out in their lives, but they don't want to face it. They don't want to have to think about it. And so they suppress the spirit. They suppress the sin, but they just grow increasingly bitter because of it. <clears throat> and then there comes a point where there's just nothing left but bitterness in their soul and a certainty of judgment that they face in the end. So tragic, guys. Don't be that. Don't, don't be that way. It's so tragic. But it comes down and he says, God knows your heart. 
For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Look, what is exalted among men is what man tends to worship. And if it isn't God, then it becomes an abomination before God, an abomination. This word, let's take a look at it just so that we grasp the understanding because this is actually a word that's coming from uh, the English Standard Version that I'm reading from right now. But, but you say, well, what in the world is the English Standard Version saying as an abomination? I don't understand. And, and it gets down this, this concept of abomination, which, by the way, they use the exact same word in the King James Bible. Uh, what it means is a, something that is detestable, something that, that is easily spewed out of the mouth. In other words, an abomination, as in reference of what this means, is that this is something that, that if you've ever taken, taken some food into your mouth, but it was such a shock, such a flavor uh, shock, something very strange to you that you ended up just spitting it out of your mouth. You're like, oh, that was gross. That was an abomination to you. That That's kind of like what Jesus was talking about when he was speaking through John, uh, dealing with the church at Laodicea. And he said, you're neither hot nor cold. Therefore, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. It's kind of like putting brackish water, like if you live down in Louisiana or you live down in those places where your salt water mixes with your fresh water at the, at the uh, openings of the rivers to the ocean and things of that nature, you get this, this brackish water where it's not salt water, but it's not fresh water and it's just nasty. And, and, and you get that in your mouth, you just spew it out, you just spit it everywhere because it, it, it's gross, it's horrible. That is what this word abomination means, and it is most oftenly connected, as its definition reveals, to idolatry. And so understanding that these guys were worshiping money more than they were worshiping God, but keep in mind, they were the, the leaders of the religion. They were the, the leadership of the religious works of Judaism that the people were coming to for the answers of how to become close to God, how to know God, how to, to worship God and to praise Him. So these are the guys that were supposed to be teaching about relationship with God. These are the guys that are supposed to be, supposed to be living out a relationship with God, but they weren't. They, they were charging people taxes for, for coming to the synagogues. They were charging people for the sacrifices that they would certify in order for the people to be able to have a sacrifice that would be acceptable to God when really it wasn't because it, it wasn't the person's gift to God. It was the, the uh, priest's requirement in the place of God. And so you'll find that that in their justification of being greater than all the other men because of their position is ultimately being gods over them in the place of the Lord God whom they were supposed to be serving. Jesus says, I know your heart. I know your wickedness. And guys, this applies to us today because we might be showing up to church kind of peacocking. That's what I call it. A peacock, you know how they, they flare out their feathers and they show their, their their beautiful nature. They show their prettiness on the outside, but peacocks are some of the wildest birds, man. They're rude. They're hateful. They, they're mean birds. And this is true with people that, that don't have a relationship with Jesus, but have, have a, an idolatrous 
uh, connection to their religion. Instead of having a relationship with Jesus, they have a relationship with their religion or a relationship with their money or a relationship with something else. And they come for the religious satisfaction of being in church. They come for the religious satisfaction of taking the, the communion or, or, or doing the, the religious work so that they can find themselves justified among their peers in the community as being someone good. But they don't have any relationship with God. And so Jesus said, you're an abomination in the sight of God because your desire is for money. Your desire is for fame and for for authority and power over this people is not to glorify God. And so you're an abomination. He's going to spit you out of his mouth. He goes down and he says, in Luke 16, 16, he says that the law and the prophets were until John. Now, this is a very important point that Jesus is making, is that John the Baptist, now that's the John he's referring to, that John the Baptist was the, was the last prophet of the Old Testament. You see, as, as those who would have been baptized by John in the New Testament as he was working before Jesus came over the hillside, in John chapter 1, verse 29, those who were being baptized by John were being gathered together as the building materials for what would become the new temple of God, which is recognized in the pattern of David, as he was not allowed to build the temple of God, for, for he was a bloody man of war. Likewise, John was not allowed to build the temple of God because he was not of the, the kingdom of God in its beginnings, but was of the old covenant in, in having to reveal Jesus. And so he was bringing the elements together, but he was not allowed to build the building. Now, that's a very important point because as Jesus and John, you find this in Matthew chapter number 3 as well as John chapter number 1. As Jesus comes to John in Matthew 3, John immediately tells Jesus, I have need to be baptized of you. Because John understood who Jesus was. He understood what Jesus came to do and he, he realized that without Without this opportunity to be baptized by Jesus, that he wouldn't be a part of this kingdom that was being brought in by Jesus. But of course, as you understand in the conversation that Jesus has with John, he said, nope. He said, that is not the plan of God. And you know as well as I do, we got to be about the plan of God. So make sure you get this job done so we could go fulfill the righteousness God has intended for the world. And so, of course, we understand that John obeys Jesus, does the baptism for Jesus, and then begins the ministry of the Messiah. So it's very important to understand that the law and the prophets is that which is the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. And that ended with John the Baptist as he had his head served up to, to Herod on a silver platter. So it's very important to understand that. So the law and the prophets were until John... But since then, now we're dealing with the ministry that begins after the baptism of Jesus moving forward with his disciples, with the cho choosing of the 12 apostles and the building of the church, as well as the kingdom, which are two brand new entities that have come into the world from Jesus. So he says, since then, the good news, gospel is where we get that word gospel from, good news, or Gospel is also in connection to its German roots, Gott spell, 
which is God's word, which, by the way, is also good news. He says that since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, is preached by Jesus through these parables. It's preached by his disciples as they've gone out into the communities and shared their, their connection with Jesus. The gospel has been preached of the kingdom. And look at what, he, it's interesting what he says here in this concept, and everyone forces his way into it. Now, I'm curious about this. I'm going to pull up my parallel Bible just so I can see what he, what he means by this. <clears throat> in the King James Bible, it says that every man presses presses into it. And, and, and the definition of this is much like the definition of being pressed into service. It, it, it's pretty interesting. It means to force or crowd oneself or to be seized or, or snatched up. So being pressed into service back in the old days of the, the British Navy, uh, you might be asleep on a street corner and then wake up on a ship out in the middle of the sea then the next morning is because you were you were just taken captive and brought into the navy you were pressed into service and the connection with this is is that you were pressed everyone is pressing their way now it, it also recognizes that as soon as you hear this this gospel this good news and it and it's powerful to your heart the holy spirit is drawing you to jesus that the crowd can't stop you. It's like that woman who who had the issue of blood earlier that, that pressed into Jesus. Remember that there was a, a great crowd that was surrounding Jesus, but in order to reach the hem of his garment, she pressed her way through this crowd. Now, rather she crawled on her hands and knees or she just pushed people out of her way until she could get close to Jesus. It doesn't matter. She pressed her way into the kingdom of God. Remember, Jesus turned around and he says, your sins be forgiven you. He says, your faith has made you whole. Uh, she pressed her way into the kingdom of God. And then th there are so many that when Jesus began to heal a great multitude of people, there are several times we've already read in Luke about Jesus doing this. They were pressing into him. They were pressing to get that, that healing, that hope. And so this is what he means when he says everyone presses or or forces their way into it. This isn't something that you passively enter into. When you come to the knowledge of the good news of Jesus Christ, it's not like you just want to say, well, I'll wait until Jesus just, you know, I'll wait for Jesus. It's fine. You know, if there's 50 people at an altar and you get touched by the Lord, make it 51. Press your way. Press your way. If there's 15 people in that pew that are beside you, push them all down. Push them all out of the way. Uh, by the way, the Christians are going to move out of the way because as soon as you look off to the edge and you say, look, I need to get through, they're going to understand that you need Jesus and praise God, they're going to get out your way. Now, you might need Jesus because you're saved and you got off the path, you got wrong with Him and you need to get right with Him. And the Holy Spirit's convicted you and you've recognized it, so you say, no, i got to turn to Jesus. Guys, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Turn to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Everyone beside you in those pews will get out of your way. Praise God, you're not burdening or bothering anyone Everyone would love to see that, that altar full, but nobody wants to move. It's kind of like 
uh, Allison Krauss in the song she sings, she says, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Well, everybody wants to get right with God, but nobody wants to move out of the pew to come and do it. Say, well, I get right with God in the pew. For a very few exceptions, now I know there are some people that I've talked to because when I bring this teaching up, they immediately say, well, I don't have the physical ability to get down to that altar, so I sit in the pew and I take care of business. And that, that may be the case. I'm not going to argue that. But more times than not, what doesn't get left at the altar still waits for us inside of our heart. And I'm just saying, it's, it's a challenge there. Nevertheless, we see that Jesus said, everyone, it, I mean, just push your way, press your way into it. But then in verse 17, he says, you know what? It's actually easier for heaven and earth to pass away than, than for one dot of my law to become void. You know, and, and you think about it, these guys, they're, they're trying to figure out ways to be able to bend the law of God for their own gain, for their own, for their own purposes. And Jesus said, you can't bend the, the law of God. The law of God is, is black words written on a white page. It doesn't change color just because you look at it a different way. It doesn't change color just because you look at it in a different light. It doesn't fade because you want it to with time. It does not change and you cannot change it now you can lie about it listen to me now you can lie about it you can you in your heart can alter the word of god you can lie about it but you can't change it and and so people can easily read the word of god for themselves and then listen to you preach and then discover that what you're preaching is not the same as what they've read and they could come back to you and say well wait a minute i got a question here you were saying this but i read this out of the word of god now help me understand it's either you're wrong or i'm wrong in understanding what god said but god's word god's word by the way God's Word is always right. God's Word is always right. Never will you find God in His Word being wrong. And so it's very important for people to understand that. And so we get to this place where Jesus says, um, Heaven and earth could pass away but not one jot or tittle, as the King James Bible would say, not one dot. Now, uh, I actually like the jot and the tittle as, as, as would be referred to by the, by the King James authors because of the way that Hebrew is, is written. So it's very important to understand what Jesus is referring to when you're thinking about the Hebrew lettering here is because literally it is it is a jot or a little line or a little little divot a little a little mark with a letter that can make it one letter or another so it's a very intricate system of of writing with with hebrew with their lettering system and and so the the tittle which would be the 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 different little marks that would cause division between the words, like what we would use periods, we would use commas and semicolons and things of that nature, but also uh, the the jot that would be that would be the the intricate ways of marking the words, such as the 
the Dagash, Dagash Lene, which would be the, the little dot that would be on a word like Sabbath. The, the bait would have a dosh, which would be a, a Dagash Forte, which would show that there would be two Bs or two baits in that word instead of just one. And there's so many different intricate points to the Hebrew lettering system that when you come to an English standard version or you come to a modern English translation and Jesus would say it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void, it, it, it's a little bit like it, it's not speaking to me. That, that jot and that tittle caused me to study out the intricacy of the Hebrew language, which I've become enthralled with and, and, and studying it and discovering that really Jesus wasn't kidding when he talked about the jot and the tittle because that is that is the very language that he's he's working with when he's dealing with these Pharisees and these scribes, these lawyers. He's he's talking Hebrew. This isn't Jesus wasn't a Greek. <laughs> Jesus was a Hebrew. And Jesus didn't didn't necessarily speak in Greek, especially when he's dealing with the people that are supposed to be God's chosen people. He's talking their language so that the rest of the world would not be able to understand what he's saying. It's, this was a language, Hebrew, that was, was personal to these people. It was not a shared language at this period of time. And so we get down... Uh, and Jesus, not only does he go there, but he also goes to divorce and remarriage. It's interesting how he ties all these things together with these people who are lovers of money and the fact that God knows their heart and how that they seek to justify themselves. Well, one of the areas that they seek to justify themselves is through the, through their, their authority, which is what is revealed in verse 15 to 17, their authority as being leaders of of the synagogue in God's word, but then another place where they seek to justify themselves is concerning this point in verse number 18 that Jesus has. <clears throat> Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. How? <laughs> what? Where in the world did Jesus just come out of the blue with this? What, first, we were talking about the fact that they were lovers of money. Oh, wait, that's it. That's it. Jesus is talking about the fact that they're lovers of money. Jesus is exposing the fact that they've been committing adultery against God with money. They've been committing adultery against God with, with power, with authority, with all of these things. These people have been committing adultery against God. They've literally, without as much saying, they've divorced themselves from what they were called to do by God and have clung to another, another way of living, another way of being, and they, they've, they've separated themselves from the Lord their God. And so Jesus just kind of throws this little caveat in there as a means by which he jabs them all the way down to their heart. Remember... The Word of God, as revealed in, in Hebrews chapter number 4 and verse number 12, the Word of God is quick and powerful. It's alive and it's dynamic. He says it's sharper than any two-edged sword and is, is able to divide in part the soul from the spirit and the bone from the marrow. 
And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's driving into these people very, all the way down to the very bone and the marrow, the very soul and spirit that they claim to, to possess and to serve. And he, he says, everyone who divorces his wife, now he's talking about anyone who would, who would separate themselves from God on behalf of another thing. And he says, everyone who would divorce his wife and, and marry another commits adultery. So if, if I am to be in, in this relationship with God, but I then set my relationship with God on a back burner or set my relationship with God on the side to chase after a relationship with money or with fame or with power or with authority or whatever you want to fill in the blank. Maybe it's sports that you separate God from your life to enjoy or whatever it is. You've committed adultery. Now, he who marries. Now, this is, this is where it's very important is because there is a difference between cheating on God and then completely, completely breaking your life off from God. He who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Jesus brings out these two points. One is pushing the wife away one is marrying the wife either one if in this connection this is where a lot of times you get in trouble because the majority of the people that you're going to work with in the church today unfortunately and their younger people are, are potentially going to have divorce and and a lot of pastors are going to push right past this point because they don't want to get caught here because if they get caught here and they have to tell the truth here then they're going to get in trouble in the churches that they serve because they're going to have people, they're going to have a, a pretty pretty large percentage of their congregation that's going to be divorced and going to be remarried. And everybody is, is okay with that in our society. I mean, in our society with an over 77% divorce rate, I mean, it's, it's, it's so easy for people just to toss their, their wives or husbands aside and to trade them up like they were, like they were trading cards, like baseball cards back in, in my younger days where a group of us guys would get together on, on a, you know, the street corner and we would meet together and we would have our cards and we would talk our, our players and we would be swapping and trading cards and people are swapping and trading husbands and wives like, like it, it really doesn't matter. Like marriage really doesn't mean anything in our society today. But then we, we, we come to church and these are the teachings that we don't want to hear because if we hear these things, we have to face the reality that we have sinned against God. That which God had brought together, we've torn apart. Remember the marriage vow? What God has joined together, let no man tear apart. Well, we tore it apart. And we did it so flippantly that it, that it didn't matter. I mean, yeah, who cares we made these vows before almighty and holy and righteous God? I mean, that was just a contract. It really didn't mean anything. And Jesus is explaining this to these Pharisees as concerning their heart's relationship to their money instead of their God, in which case they divorced from their God to, to marry their money. <laughs> and and they, they are guilty of adultery. And I, 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 would, I would bet that the majority of us that claim to be Christians are also guilty of adultery. There are plenty of things that we have, we have set God aside to be able to enjoy. There are plenty of things that we've set God's kingdom aside to be able to, to do. There are plenty of ways in which we've 
we've abandoned our walk with God entirely and have divorced ourselves from the work that he has given us to do so that we could chase after our own lust. There's plenty of things that we could say. But I want you to see this, and I want you to understand as you look at this, please look at this, please have your Bibles open. I used to say that a lot. I, I would assume that you do, but if you don't, I don't want you to listen to me and take my word for it. Please open your Bible and look at this. Jesus said, by the way, Jesus said, okay, it's written in red. If you've got a red letter edition, this is Jesus. And you can get offended at me for explaining this, this very teaching right here. And, and I'm fine with that because there's nothing I can do about it. Jesus said it. But if you would accept what Jesus has to say, perhaps if you changed your life and got right with God, perhaps that would make all the difference in the world for the way in which you would serve him from now on. Jesus said this. Everyone. Now, if you could find a way to get yourself out of being a part of that everyone, then the, you're excluded from this. But the last time I checked... The, the term everyone fit within the three letters all, and no one has an ability to escape from this point. Everyone who divorces his wife. Now, you're going to come up with, well, she was running around on me. Well, she was cheating on me. And well, it says over in, in Matthew 19 that except for, for fornication or except that, you know, that the wife cheats on you, that's, that's the exclusionary point that Jesus makes for divorce being okay. And, you know, we, we come up with all kinds of things, all kinds of excuses, especially when the Bible starts meddling in the life of divorce. We come up with all kinds, of, well, he was beating me, so Jesus wants me to just sit there and be beaten for the rest of my life. Well, this, that, and the other. Guys, here's a reality about this before you come unhinged and off the hook. Here's a reality. Had men been men of, of God concerning the scriptures, then, then this wouldn't be an issue. I 100% agree. Uh, domestic violence wouldn't be an issue if men would be men of God. If men would be truly Christians, true Christians, instead of liars, then, then there wouldn't be these issues. And by the way, if women were women of God, we wouldn't have these issues also. Because men don't do this of their own accord. It takes two to commit these crimes. It takes two to commit these sins before God. So if men were men of God and women were women of God, and as they claimed to be Christians, they actually stood behind that claim, and it was true. We wouldn't have a problem with divorce in our nation. We wouldn't have a problem at all. Because the men would be submitted to God in serving his will. The women would be submitted to God in serving his will. And they would be submitted one to another in caring for each other concerning the roles that God established for each of their lives. And no, God is not equal. He established roles for women. He established roles for men. And as we, as we serve in the roles that God has created us for, then we have harmony in, in matrimony and we have harmony in spirit. <clears throat> but men don't act like men anymore and women don't act like women anymore and the confusion of following the world's 
ways instead of the Word of God has created a society that even though it claims to be Christian, is anything but. And so when, when we come to teachings that Jesus would have even in this one little bitty verse, we would come unglued at the pastor, unglued at, at, at the Bible. We would come unglued because it touches on a thing that we have sinned against God with. And we don't want to hear it. Well, if that's true, then just, just cut me off. <laughs> I mean, because I'm going to teach it. Because Jesus said it. And we need the hard things as well as the easy things. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. Can't get around it. And he who marries a woman who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. Y'all figure that one out for yourself. It's written right there in front of you in red. Find your loopholes, find your justifications, and put them in the comments. I would love it. I, I would love to see where the justifications and loopholes and, and escape clauses and anything else would be found with what Jesus just said. Now, divorce is a reality, and Jesus said because of the hardness of your hearts that God allowed divorce. But by the way, it didn't allow for remarriage to whatever person you wanted to remarry. Divorce was meant for a time of separation so that, that an opportunity of reconciliation could take place. And if a couple divorced could not reconcile, then they remained apart. They remained single for the rest of their days because their marriage was, was honored by God in its first estate. And, and what God joined together, you, you cannot tear apart. And so if you divorce someone because you wanted to be with someone else and you married someone else, every day of your life is found in adultery. I, I didn't write it. I just read it and studied it. And I'm going to teach it. So I'm going to end right here in trouble. And tomorrow, Tuesday, if you come back <laughs> to the preacher's corner, then you're going to discover the rich man and Lazarus. We're going to be talking about that. We've made it. Luke 16, 19, we'll be going over tomorrow. And what a treasure that will be. So I uh, definitely want to tune in if you're still willing to hear the truth uh, about the rich man and Lazarus, and that's going to be good stuff because this same Lazarus we're going to discover in John chapter number 11 where he's passed away and three or four days later, rather, he's resurrected. And in John chapter number 12, the Pharisees want him dead. So a lot of good stuff there if, if you come back. <laughs> to the preacher's corner after talking about divorce and remarriage that that often just shuts the doors but praise god jesus gave it and it was dealing with the pharisees and their love of money and their divorce from god and just saying but it also applies to our carnal lives as being christians we're supposed to be different Father, we thank you and praise you, asking that blessing upon us the rest of this day that we may give consideration to your truth in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you guys, keep you guys, and cause his face to shine upon you. And I shall see you, hopefully, tomorrow for, for a really exciting time. So, talk to you then.